This is Pushing Boundaries Together, a podcast where we speak with leading scientists and engineers about their amazing applications that are pushing their fields forward to modern frontiers. For 50 years, PI has aimed to explore technology and science's most grueling challenges and have provided refined motion solutions that push the boundaries of astronomy, advanced manufacturing, and medicine. I'm Dave Rigo, president of PIUSA and host of Pushing Boundaries Together. On this episode, we are joined by PI Scott Jordan and Form Factor's Dan Rashavi to discuss the burgeoning world of silicon photonics and what it means for the future of electronics. Scott is the head of photonics for PI and a PI fellow. He's a physicist with an MBA in finance and new ventures and has multiple contributions to positioning and optimization technologies. Dan is currently a director of market development in Form Factor's systems business unit focused on their wafer level photonics testing technologies. Dan holds a degree in electrical engineering from the University of South Florida and an MBA from West Texas A&M. He has been at the forefront of semiconductor testing and wafer probing for the better part of two decades, and it's an honor to have him on the show. I'll turn it over to brilliant Scott Jordan, who'll begin to explain what silicon photonics is and why it matters. Silicon photonics is microcircuitry that is using photons as the working fluid rather than electrons. And with photons comes a wealth of useful new physics and better energy efficiency, especially in terms of interconnects and the amount of energy that is turned into heat in conventional microelectronics. As things get faster, as interconnects become more capacious, it is increasingly more efficient in every respect to use photons rather than electrons to convey information from point to point, to process that information, to to perform calculations on it. These are driving this revolution. And the revolution is the most significant one since the invention of the integrated circuit, since the first microcircuits were first composed on silicon surfaces back in the 1960s. Since then, the semiconductor industry has been all about bigger and bigger wafers, different coatings, different different fabrication techniques that allow finer and finer and denser and denser circuits to be constructed on the, on the wafers. Silicon photonics is based on photons rather than electrons. And that means it's completely different. That's why I say it's the biggest change that has occurred in the semiconductor industry since the beginning of the integrated circuit era in the 1960s. That's all well and good, but ultimately the real cost is in the packaging. And what that means is that you do not want to take a bad device and allow it to proceed through the packaging process. You're just burning dollar bills when you do that. So that's where Wafer probing is is so vitally important, both for microelectronics and especially for silicon photonics. It's important for microelectronics because packaging is the main cost, and so the devices need to be tested to be sure that they're good while they are still on the wafer. And then additionally, the microelectronics people perform a process called binning, where they grade the devices. And the best ones are the ones that you pay the most money for. You buy your top-end computer, it has a chip in it that has tested out as, as a high-end chip. 
But if you buy a cheaper computer, it might have a very similar chip, maybe even an identical chip, but it just didn't test as well. And you determine that through these tools called probers that physically make optical or electrical contact or both to the devices while they are still on the wafer. So that if you have a thousand devices on the wafer, you know which 400 of them are actually operable. And those are the ones that proceed into packaging. Dan Mishavi from Form Factor was the pioneer in that field. And I'd like to turn this over to him so he can talk about what he saw and why it was important. We've been in the electronic test industry for 25 years doing electronic measurements. And then, you know, as the photonics market started moving things into silicon back about five to seven years ago, there was, you know, quite a bit of activity around that, that we were recognizing. And so, yeah, I had a relationship with Scott from a previous uh, employer and him and I started talking about, you know, the real need to, to bring that testing to the wafer level for a number of different reasons. I mean, there's people that want to develop models and understand how their devices perform and then put that back into a model so that they can use it. People want to test, you know, how well their devices actually work. So there's a broad level of requirements for testing all the way from what used to be the transistor that needed to be characterized in what we called process development, where we'd actually determine the material characteristics of the transistors and and then you'd move to the next level of putting those into models and you move to the next level of creating circuits and then all along the way you've got to test those and figure out how how things are functioning and so similarly in photonics we realize that there's going to be a need to do the same type of process through all the different layers of developing the semiconductors once we're doing photonics in silicon especially. The goal there is to drive volume and to be able to make these things cheaper. The silicon side of the market is a different area because that's a mature market. The electronics industry has been doing, you know, electronics in silicon for a long time. And that market side of the market has really matured to the point where we've got standard process cycles, you know, standard equipment suppliers in the market. We have, you know, reputable equipment that's going in that can be reproduced anywhere in the world as opposed to kind of how things were done in the 3.5 semiconductor with photonics, where people would kind of build up what we think Scott refers to as the hobby shop mentality, where we would build things up and get them working and test things, but it wasn't, you know, a standard solution. And that's really what Form Factor decided to do was to take what PI offers and integrate that into a probe station and make something that can be repeatable and, and be reproduced worldwide at any of the companies that are getting into the photonics area. And there's a lot of them. From PI's perspective, since the company's founding back in the 70s, customers would come to us with requests that they knew were difficult. Many, many times conversations had started where a customer came to us and said, well, I know it's impossible, but it would be really nice if you could do X, Y, and Z. And that's the sort of thing that gets us going in the mornings when we are presented with a challenge that looks impossible, might require some new technology, certainly requires a new approach, new thinking. That's where we do best. That's what we built our business on over the past 50 years. So in this case, we had silicon photonics companies coming to us and saying, we need to do this, this very precise alignments and we need to do them really fast. And by the way, we have these wafers that have thousands of devices on them and they need to be tested because of the high costs of packaging 
and the fact that they cannot waste money attempting to package a, a bad chip. That's where Dan Bashabi and Form Factor have joined the conversation. They were seeing the same unfilled need that engineers in the silicon photonics industry were grappling with. And that's where we were able to work together with Form Factor to deliver the world's first high-speed engineering probers for photonic devices. Absolutely. I don't know if I came up with it or Scott, but the analogy we came up with is, you know, what what PI provides is the engine, a fast engine and an engine to be able to do the optical alignments. And then we took that engine and built the car around it so that you can actually drive and, you know, use that engine to do something. And so that's how we kind of looked at what we've done is to take this high performance capability from PI and put all the tools, all the techniques, all the software and integration and everything needed to make that actually start making measurements. And I think that's one of the key things that I've been proud of is that we can tell customers that once we finish installing a system, they're going to be making measurements and we're actually going to be demonstrating that system making measurements typically within 30 minutes of finishing that installation. And then they're off and running. They're actually now able to use that to do what their real job is, which is to, to actually make measurements and understand their devices, not spend a bunch of time putting things together and bringing up a system to do that. That's already there. Scott and I have some ideas of our own, but we'd like to turn it over to Dan about what types of people are interested in the value of wafer probing. Is it the circuit designers or process development professionals from the fab? Is it the engineers? Is it the production designers, uh, packaging engineers? Or is it just all of the above? Interestingly enough, it's all the above. We have systems now at over 25 different customers doing the optical side of the measurements with our capability. And it's, again, it runs everything from you know, the process development engineers, the modeling labs, you know, the circuit designers and testers and, and debug people. Everybody in all these layers needs the capability to, to understand, you know, what their portion of that development is doing. And so it really runs the gamut all the way into to high volume production, because once they have completed designs, they don't want to, you know, package them and then find out they're not working. So there's everywhere from, you know, circuit characterization and process development all the way up through high volume production. Now would be a great time to hear from Scott about the optimization processes and measuring requirements of silicon photonics devices. There's always a lot of optimization that goes on. This is the case for for microelectronics and it's really the case for photonics right now. There's very intensive testing to ensure that the products do what they're supposed to do. The chips, the wafers need to be tested at different temperatures and maybe cycle them up and down in temperature to see how that changes their performance. The different electrical and optical tests that are performed to make sure that the, the products are good and worth being packaged, worth, worth the process of proceeding from the wafer downstream into the packaging process, which is where, as I've said, the substantial burden of cost is for these devices. There's this cycle of design and build and test and taking what you've learned and changing the design, modifying it, tweaking it. That cycle repeats for a very long time, multiple times, because this is this is a new technology 
and it gets newer every day. Now we have quantum photonic devices and things of that sort. These are the sort of things that are the stuff of science fiction. And so they need to be tested as well because nobody's ever built them before. And we don't really know what the best way is to fabricate these things. We don't really know how they're going to interact with other elements in the system. And these are all things that need to be tweaked and adjusted. And that's all done based on testing. So that's what probers do. This starts before the wafer is ever manufactured in the fab. But then that's when the fun begins because then the testing and the repeated cycles of test and optimization begin before you can begin manufacturing mass quantities of the final product. Yeah, that's the really exciting part to me about the photonics, you know, especially silicon, is just the breadth of, of applications people are figuring out how to use this technology for. I mean, again, it started with datacom and telecom, but it has gone into biomedical, you know, healthcare, glucose monitoring, blood typing, artificial intelligence, processing, LIDAR. I mean, there's so many applications where people are, you know, creatively figuring out how to use this technology to do other things than just transmit data. And that's, to me, what's really exciting about being involved in it and seeing, you know, at these different conferences, all new applications coming up every time, you know, we either see it at a conference or we talk to a customer that has a, a new novel idea of a way to use photonics. So that, that to me is neat. There's a very large semiconductor infrastructure with established tools and methods and processes. This is a disruptive technology that we speak about today. Scott can shed some light on the inherent differences in terms of testing between silicon wafers that are based on photonics interconnects versus the standard processes of integrated circuits that have been developed over the decades. To move from microelectronic manufacturing to microphotonic manufacturing, it presents some challenges. It, it's got some unique difficulties that need to be addressed. You can't just take a wafer prober that you purchased five or six years ago and start using fibers instead of wires to make contact with the wafer. There are some problems, some challenges, some significant physical differences between the two types of testing. With a microelectronic device on a wafer, you use physical probes, which are basically very precise needles that make contact with pads that are fabricated on the wafer specifically for testing purposes. Those pads are typically 20 microns big, maybe 30 microns, pretty small. When you think about a, a human hair is 90 or 100 microns in diameter. These are, these are small structures, but they're not sub-microscopic. You can see them with a, with a magnifying glass. You can see them with the microscope. Photonic devices, on the other hand, the contacts, the, the contacts are made between, say, an optical fiber and a waveguide that's on the on the wafer. Photons need to flow from one of those structures to the other and then back out someplace else where you collect it with another fiber or something of that sort. The real problem is that those ports that you're talking to, that, that you're sending light in and out of, number one, you cannot make physical contact with them because they're they're optically clear, they, they're sensitive to scratching and dust and contamination and things of that sort. So that requires a different type of non-contact testing. But the problem is that they're about a thousand times smaller than the electrical contacts that we're used to doing. So that means you can't just use the same technology, the same structures, the same thinking 
that you can use with, with microelectronic electrical probing. You have to start thinking from the ground up. Vibration is very important. You need to, to need to have a stable environment. That means that you're, if your prober makes a lot of noise or has some vibrations in it, that's something you need to deal with. So the structures need to be rigid. You can't have things floating around in space. They need to be very accurately localized and they need to stand still. The alignment process itself is a challenge because these things are, are a thousand times smaller than the already very small structures that, that people use for electrical contacts. How do you align to those? How do you find them? How do you optimize the connection to something that small? You can't see it with a microscope. The, the optical fidelity of any camera or any microscope short of an electron microscope is just not enough to tell you where the best place is to send light in and out of a silicon photonic device or any other photonic device. So heat fluctuations are an issue. Let's say you, you make that interconnect and you get it just right. And now your test requires you to cycle the temperature of the wafer. Well, thermal expansions are going to cause things to, to move from their optimum position. So you need to be able to track these things in real time and stay aligned while the testing is underway. So you have all of these impacts, all of these considerations that were not a problem for conventional electronic probing of conventional microelectronic wafers, but are absolute showstoppers for photonic testing. Formbatter can do it all. They have taken the PI mechanisms that make the alignment so fast and built these machines around them so that engineers can get the job done and test the thousands of devices that are on the wafer in a practical amount of time. Yeah, doing optical, and, and in fact, we have to do them both together. We do optical and electrical because some of these devices, you know, as transceivers, they need the data to be modulated onto the signal. And so we have to be able to get both electrical probes and get these fibers or fiber arrays. And, and the other big difference is with, with electrical probes, we make contact to pads, some form of metal pad that we bring the probe down and scrub into. And now we've got physical contact and can make, you know, measurements that way. With optical, it's different. So now we're we're hovering above, you know, in, in typically in a grading coupler or even in an edge coupling application, you're not making contact, you're getting that fiber into a space where, you know, if, even if it's lensed or whatever it has, it needs to be at a certain distance from what would be the contact point above it or, or next to it, and then be optimized in position, like Scott said, in, down into the nanometer range to get the optical light, you know, coupling as efficiently as possible. And that, that coupling efficiency is the, is the real key. And a lot of the work we've been doing is on improving coupling efficiency so that these signals can work. So th there needs to be enough optical power there. And so you have losses at those interfaces, the, the coupling interface there that we need to optimize in order to be able to, to properly test those devices. So there's a lot of challenges around, you know, again, both surface and edge coupling, and then bringing the electrical piece of it in there as well, makes it even, even more interesting. One thing we haven't mentioned so far is the notion of array devices. Array devices are simply photonic devices that have more than one input or output, so that you might have eight inputs or 16 inputs or something like that. You might have 
so many outputs. To, to do the testing and to do packaging, you need to find each of these elements, each of these inputs and outputs. So that means it's no longer just a simple task of landing up a fiber to a laser, a single fiber, a single laser. Instead, you have multiple devices, multiple inputs and outputs that need to be aligned. And that is both the promise of silicon photonics and also one of the main frustrations because these array devices require such a complicated alignment using conventional technologies. And so this multidimensional alignment process was the main challenge that we solved with PI's technology. And that is the fundamental benefit of what has been built into Form Factors Probers, is the ability to take a wafer with thousands of devices on it that formerly would require months, literal months, to test. And instead doing that in a matter of hours or days. So it's a huge benefit. We've, we've taken this array alignment process and reduced it from minutes down to about one second. So you can see how that can impact production economics. There's all kinds of new applications coming around these photonic devices to test them and develop them and figure out how they're performing. Is there a commercially available processor today that uses this type of technology? Not processor in terms of uh, a laptop or a computer. Generally speaking, I think more of the development work that's going on is around quantum computing and cryocomputing and being able to use photonics um, in those applications. So there's definitely work going on there, but I would say there's not commercially available products for computing that have photonics, but they are used in data centers and, and all related to, to computer processing. So uh, the applications are evolving, but I think that the, one of the first applications considered was just to address heating and processing, address some of the challenges with EUV, the smaller line widths, getting down to, you know, sub 10 nanometer nodes and, and, and just, you know, Moore's law just taking over. You know, there's been all these other applications being investigated, but generally speaking, yeah, the advancement of Moore's law, that's where photonics is kind of one avenue people are investigating for extension of Moore's law and eventually having processors that have optical interconnects inside of a laptop or, or a computer is when we get those link distances that were kilometers down to meters down to centimeters and then you know getting them into a, a laptop or directly into a processor having optical links is something that is a goal of, of silicon photonics as well. There was this amazing paper presented a year and a half ago by Samsung at the Photonic Integrated Circuit Conference, the PIC conference in Brussels, Belgium. The presentation involved optical interconnects for RAM. In other words, instead of tiny little wires connecting your RAM to your CPU and your computer, it, they would use optical interconnects. The benefit being higher capacity, perhaps some benefits in packaging density, and definite benefits in terms of energy consumption. About half the cost of computing, about half the energy that is required to do any type of computing involves moving data from point to point. This was something that was first calculated by David A.B. Miller at Stanford University, brilliant researcher who realized that the amount of energy being consumed by computing, and not just 
Google searches, but social media, streaming media, just sending selfies back and forth just takes enormous amounts of data. Now we're talking autonomous vehicles, smart cities, personal genomic medicine, where your genome is sequenced or the genome of, of, a, of a tumor or perhaps some pathogen that's infected you and so, that, so that your doctors can figure out exactly what's going on and what the best therapy is rather than just choosing some generic therapy. So this is better medicine, more accurate everything. But it takes energy. About half the energy goes to just moving those bits from place to place, even inside your computer. So that's what Samsung was uh, addressing in its fascinating paper from uh, a year and a half ago. So using photons, though, you can reduce the ohmic losses, they're called. The, the, the fact that when you send a current through a wire, some of the energy gets converted into heat, and that's waste. It also means it puts a limit on, on how fast your computer can be because only so much heat can can be accommodated without melting the, the chip inside. So silicon photonics is a way of accommodating the world's appetite for data more sustainably over time. And the trick has been how do we manufacture these things? And the most important question for that is how do we test it? Fork Factor is dealing with the actual chip manufacturers, so Dan can give perspective on what is coming to market as the result of this technology and what we can look forward to in our everyday lives. Computers eventually will get faster because of this, and it'll help drive faster computers and faster computing is, you know, one area of it. But as we mentioned, there's, you know, a lot of work, and whether that's quantum computing or getting the optical paths directly into the processors in a in a motherboard or whatever, th those are different avenues that will accomplish faster computing. Uh, so that's one high level thing that will come out of this. But, you know, more practically speaking, I mean, I think what we'll see is we'll start to see, you know, glucose monitoring and blood typing and things that'll go into a smartwatch that will now allow you to, you know, monitor your glucose through your skin because, you know, skin is transparent. So you can use these photonic devices to actually do practical sensing. So people are finding new ways to use these photonic devices for practical applications. For a consumer product, I think you'll see it mostly in things like smartphones and, and other technologies that will you know, leverage these photonic devices to do various functions. It's such an interesting time for silicon photonics. We've been very lucky at PI to interface with Form Factor as they work with many companies from different fields that are using silicon photonics technology. And there's a lot of effort and time going into creating new uses for it. It's not just the semiconductor market. In fact, there's many biotech companies. There's certainly a lot of work in data processing and, and, and servers. We're not going to see silicon photonics as publicly as some other growing markets such as electric vehicles. But we do know that it's happening and we do know that large companies in the semiconductor field have adopted silicon photonics and there's a trend here that's been established. Dan mentioned about 25 customers that's about the size of this consolidated industry and those companies are what flood out all of the components that are used in what we see today in laptops and Xboxes, VR systems. It's eventually going to filter down into those applications and those systems at some point, but it may not be transparent to us and will come through only as a specification improvement of one to two orders of magnitude. Yeah, you won't see a photonics product that you're gonna buy. What you're gonna have is new functions, new features, new capabilities in, in our devices that's gonna be enabled by photonics. Yeah, that's our guess. 
I mean, maybe we should start a company that just markets photonics products, like for, for the consumer. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to use them for, but yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's what the industry does. You find the applications, and and then you build semiconductors around it. We have it on our phone, right? I mean, that's a photonics product. The camera. That's a photonics product. So, I mean, taking that data and manipulating it in the cloud, and, and that's enabled by the data centers, which are driven by these optical interconnects and so on and so on. So there, there is a backbone here, but it's not, it's not facing everybody every day. But there's an excitement where we sit in seeing the evolution of this. Our DNA at PI is to partner with pioneers and help them achieve the impossible and move the needle of their industries. Really one of the most interesting and rewarding moments in this whole process of helping Form Factor pioneer this new solution for the industry was that exchange of ideas, that, that collaboration between Form Factor and PI engineers as they explored how to bring this to market to benefit the whole industry. We did send four of our engineers to PI and spent a week at, at, in Karlsruhe where we worked directly with the PI engineers. And I think f from their perspective, they learned so much more about, you know, how PI does things, how we do things. But also, I mean, they, they said, you know, PI has some of the best control systems engineers I've ever talked to in my life. And they were just so impressed with, you know, some of the, the capabilities of the engineering team there and, you know, brought some of that back. And, and we actually were then able to develop a new technology or a new capability on the system where we can tune our systems based on our knowledge from PI. We actually developed a tuning procedure that allows us to improve our overall repeatability and performance of our systems down into the 0 0.03 or 0 0.04 dB of coupled power repeatability. When we repeat that measurement hundreds of times, we get the same measurement. We definitely have had some interactions with PI that have, have been really fruitful. We did a kind of press release, I think a while back where we talked about kind of a five-year anniversary of having been working with PI to bring this photonics technology for wafer-level probing to the market. I think we did that back in September. And so, yeah, it's been it's been a long partnership in, in getting the successes that we have along the way, working with PI and with Scott, all the way to your engineering teams to accomplish that. One of the things we've been working on and introduced is is the ability to do edge coupling in trenches at the wafer level. So the customers will etch out a trench, expose the edge of a waveguide instead of these grading couplers that are on the surface of the wafer. And that's been you know a unique challenge that we've had to, to work on and are still working on how to get fibers and fiber arrays into those trenches and be able to measure at the edge facet of a waveguide as it's exposed in that trench. That has been a challenge that we've solved but are still working to improve how to measure into a trench on a wafer that's something that, that we hadn't ever done before but one of the other key challenges that i think was unique in this is that you know basically we're taking 18 or up to even 27 axes of a positioning solution with the hexapod and the nanocube on each side or on three sides of the probe station and that's effectively from the fiber tip back through that hexapod all the way around the probe station up underneath to up through our four stages, which is our X, Y, Z, and theta stage. And we basically have a one meter kinematic loop on each side or on each of those positioning setups. And between that fiber array and getting it to the coupler or the edge facet, you know, being able to calibrate all those axes together to our probe station is really the, the key challenge that I think we solved. And so we developed, you know, these unique automated calibrations that walk you through calibrating that fiber holder 
to the probe station through all those uh, axes that exist. And that's really what gives us our repeatability performance and the ability to measure these things down at the nano scale, like Scott mentioned. Thank you for listening to Pushing Boundaries Together. This podcast is brought to you thanks to PI Physique Instrumenta, a global designer and manufacturer of nanometer precision motion systems, performance automation products, and piezo technology solutions. At PI, our goal is to push the boundaries together with scientists and engineers to help realize their missions with the precision required for greatness. Visit pi-usa.us for more information.